Hello and welcome to Article 23, the podcast all about making work work for more of us, all of us, in whatever unique workplace we find ourselves. I'm excited today to be joined by CEO and founder of MOI, Rhonda Brighton-Hall, to talk about the mess and the magic of a thriving workplace culture, and we're going to jump straight into it. Hi, Rhonda. Thank you for joining us. Absolute pleasure to be here, as always. What are some examples of what great thriving workplace culture looks like? It's such a great question to start with, isn't it? Because really great culture is a culture where all sorts of people, all different sorts of people can thrive, but together. So it's not just I'm thriving and I'm okay, but actually I can thrive and I can create space next to me, with me, where you can also thrive. So really, really good culture is a space where it's very generous. People are looking out for each other, making space for each other, and sometimes compromising. So it's not just what I need and want, but it's what I know will be great for you or someone else in the team as well. And when we get that sort of equation right, it becomes incredibly fun to be part of. If I'm listening to this podcast, I want examples, right? I want to go like, what, what's the epitome? What does perfection look like? What, what is a model that I can replicate? What is an example that you've come across where you've gone, that's close to perfect? Mm. I don't know that anyone ever gets it close to perfect. And even if you do, it's like, well, tomorrow it's not. So I think what you're looking for, though, is new ideas that are untried, that create possibility, that play into someone's strengths that haven't really been given space before. And so the creativity of how could we do this? How might we do this? um, Becomes a really good it's like a hallmark of a good culture is someone who's saying, well, it's good, but what? how much better could it be? And part of that is this deep listening to the team. Now, if you listen to all the team all the time, <laughs> it's, it's chaotic. There's an awful lot of voice, you know. But what you're trying to do is listen deeply, not just to everything, but to the things that matter to people. And that deep listening to your team, the team that's really close to you, will give them a space to be great. And it's just an absolute given that when a person feels deeply included as if they belong, they can create that space for other people. And so I always say to senior leaders, make sure your own team is in really, really great shape because then they can create it for others. As a senior leader or a CEO or something, you can't create it for everybody, but you can create it for the team that's close and they can then create it further on. So this kind of rhythm and momentum of a great thriving workplace culture, it's difficult to maintain it. And especially with the kind of scrutiny that happens now with the internet, with social media, we're getting constant feedback about how we're doing at work. Is all that feedback warranted? It's a really good question because there are some cultures that are bad and they're not good enough and they need to get better. So that's true. But there's also this tendency in the way that we talk about culture to use catastrophizing language. And like any human system or um, anytime you get human beings together, it's never perfect. It's always, we are by nature a bit messy, (laughs) a bit irrational and all those things. So you can still have a very good culture that isn't perfect. So at the moment, there are a lot of companies that are doing well. A lot of organisations, whether it be government, not-for-profit, private sector, whatever, they're doing really well, but the media's coming in and going, not good enough. Let me tell you what's wrong with it. And you go, well, 
if you really got under the skin of it and you understood comparatively how that culture is, it's still very good. What do you see as as one of the most difficult things or one of the or some of the mistakes perhaps that, that companies make or, or traps they fall into? An absolute addiction to a high score. Hmm. So when we talk a business metric, revenue, profit, name it, it's always going up. And so we assume good scores in business always go up. But when you start to talk about a complex human system like culture, you've got different things that are important and they sort of come and go. So when we look at a culture series of metrics, we normally say, let's look at our bad numbers and fix them. But they might be those two things that are imperfect, that nobody really cares about, that aren't important. And while you're over there focusing everything you've got on those two things that no one cared about in the first place, you've actually missed the fact that the top 10, your great strengths, are absolutely abandoned, completely orphaned. No one's got time to think or talk about them because who cares? We're out dealing with the two things that weren't perfect. And so you're never going to get everything perfect, but you may well end up with those two things high, but you've lost the 10 that were really important because they were trade-offs against those two. And so I think that's a big part of it. Creating and holding a great culture is really hard to do. And it's partly because you almost need to be constantly dissatisfied. But if it's good, you should also be celebrating it and, and be happy with it. So you've got this constant dissatisfaction for something that's good. The constant dissatisfaction is not to say that it's not good. It's just to make sure that it stays good. Moi works a lot in the DNI diversity and inclusion space. Yeah. How is that coming into play with these ideas? Well, I think that there's a the whole field of diversity inclusion is changing so rapidly. And, and part of this is it takes a different set of capabilities and a different mindset to do that job really well. And so when you see someone who's really open, feels like very confidently included, they're belonging, it's great. And they're making space for others to do it. It is, it does look a bit chaotic. Like you've got this person with the strategy, but their leader takes the strategy and runs with it, which is appropriate. And you've got these employee resource groups that are individually aligned to an agenda. And, and their lived experience is really, really important. But if the DNI person's going, well, I need to control everything, then the employee resource groups, well, I don't want to volunteer, so you won't get the great volunteers. Whereas a great DNI person knows that it gets a bit messy and that that particular employee resource group that attached to whether it be a culturally linguistically diverse group or LGBTI or a parenting group or whatever it happens to be, that their moment in time to speak up and have something to say is now. And so they'll be much louder than all the other groups. But next month, it'll be someone else. So you're letting it move around. You're letting change happen. You're democratizing and devolving leadership. You're not trying to hang on to it. Whereas people who aren't as mature in the DNI space, they want to control everything. We can only do these two things and you must check back with me before you do it. It doesn't work like that. It works when everybody feels that they're part of community and can leap up and have their opinion and have their say. It sounds like the work that we need to do is to not hold so tightly. Yeah, I think the work that we do is about accepting a lack of perfection in all of us and also when we collectively get together, but still going forward. So you're sort of going, okay, the ideal is we want to be over there feeling really great about culture, having people thrive, innovation, all the things that create a bit of chaos along the journey, but you're holding on to it in an imperfect way. And so you're sort of saying, I'm okay for it not to go as fast as I wanted it to in X, Y, Z, but ABC is going twice as fast as I was expecting it to. So that's awesome. And I can't do everything, but I can certainly pick up 
M because M is the one that we can actually run with we hadn't thought of right in the middle of everything. So I think it's listening to those people with deep lived experience, but not such an exclusive conversation that only they can speak because you don't just need that one person or two people with very important lived experience, which is valuable to listen to here and to make sure that it's included, but equally that other people can ask questions, that they can join the conversation. So it's not an exclusive conversation. It's one that people go, actually, I had a question about that and I, I feel comfortable to ask it. And now I can get more knowledge, um, more understanding and start to move, move forward. And part of that, the expression that we use is just taking away eggshells. So, so making it possible for other people to join in. What does taking away the eggshells allow? If we actually can have a real conversation with our team, what's the goal of that? What's the real beauty? I think when the eggshells are gone, that every person, whether it be the CEO, the founder, the senior leader, the frontline person, the receptionist, it doesn't matter. Every person feels that they can join the conversation and they're okay to get it wrong because what we've had with culture is this search for a perfect score. We need to be in the 90s or whatever that happens to be. But actually, culture is very unique to the people that you've brought together and also very unique to the work you do. So no one else's formula is going to work for you. I mean, we work with a group of people that are very heavy scientists, and it's very interesting to hear them talk about their culture, because if you weren't a scientist, you'd sit there and go, wow, it sounds so bad. But then after they talk about all the things that are wrong, because they're very critical thinkers, and, and the way they communicate is very critical and fact-based and everything else. At the end of it, they say something like, this is the best culture I've ever worked in in my life. I love this conversation. And I think that's a perfect example of where the conversation with eggshells can sometimes sound fractious, difficult, tough. Other times, if you're in a culture that's really rah-rah, we work with a sales organisation that's really, you know, leaping up all the time and just singing and um, celebrating success. That's their, their way. But in amongst that conversation is the conversation around things that could get better, a little bit of dissatisfaction on the edges. But it does feel like you think, wow, these people are doing everything right. They're not doing everything right. They're just communicating it differently. And I think it's the confidence in leaders, in particular in organisations, to say, the way that culture, businesses, work has been put together isn't particularly fabulous for everybody. And so to make it more inclusive, to make it better so that more people could thrive, I'm probably going to need to do some things that no one's ever done before. So not find best practice or copy XYZ company that's on the front page of the paper, but actually I might put in some rituals or ideas or practices that no one's done before, but I think they work. And I do them with my family or, you know, I do it with my group of friends and it's really powerful. And when you see companies doing that, we're working with one company at the moment that does this really crazy way of voting at the end of every meeting. And it's the first time I saw it, I, it made me laugh because it was just so energetic and chaotic and funny. But now I've seen it a few times, I'm actually going, that actually works so well for them that at the end of each meeting, they almost do a review of the meeting and a really staccato text box chat of what was good, bad, and indifferent about it. And then they work out it. And instantly, you know, after half an hour, everybody gets this, that's how we went together. And it's, a, it's very energetic. And I think that that sort of idea of simple ideas, silly ideas, whatever they happen to be, we're constantly pushing the envelope, but at the same time, exploring possibilities that no one else has done. Then we start to talk about moving culture in a way that people get really super engaged with. Rhonda, thank you so much for sharing your insights today about what makes a workplace unique, which, of course, 
are the, are the people that are actually there. I, I hope it gives someone confidence to try something different. I love that. Thank you so much, Rhonda. I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you very much. Talk soon.